first praise hymn is Ancient of Days, Red Praise, number 23. Next hymn is Shine Jesus Shine. Pastor Bruce wants to come and learn a new number. Red praise number six. <laughs>
Pastor George Groves with us and, and Pastor Carpenter. Both dearly love the Lord and we kind of have a sense of humor. And Pastor Carpenter has met my parents and went back to the farm. We even, I think, took the dog up there. Again, we want to welcome those who are here. Keep in your thoughts and prayers. Tina and Mike and Gary Gross. Our opening hymn is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Red Hymnal number 100, verses 1, 3, and 5. And I think this is a familiar one. And um, Pastor Carpenter, if you want to kind of join the group, Pastor George is a former musician. He's very intimidating to sing with, but, but if you can bring out that powerful back black, I just appreciate it. Pastor Carpenter being with us today on such a beautiful, sunshiny day. No obstacles to our worship today. Oh, I guess it did snow last night, but that's not a problem for Minnesota nice people. We might have to have Pastor George bring his family in for the lighting unity candle. You know, there are big churches, big churches that don't have three cler clergy on a Sunday morning like we, we have here. Count yourselves fortunate. We may be small in numbers, but we're high in quality. <laughs> in the pews and in the pulpits. I'm going to be talking a little bit today about about what Methodism, the direction Methodism is going in, and I don't necessarily agree with it, but I'm, I'm going to tell you what the direction the Methodist Church is going in, and I'm going to let you to kind of decide if that's the direction you're considering. They're starting to use the word creativity rather than faith. I don't know if that's true of the Wisconsin Methodist, Minnesota Methodists are talking about creativity rather than faith. Yeah, creative God. So when, whenever you're in divergent thoughts, I mean, boy, it's just a completely new language that I was asked to join a group of about 30, 40 creative clergy to go through a day-long seminar workshop, and I'm going to be bringing you up to speed on what, what direction Methodism is going in. Lord, we just want to thank you this morning as we come and congregate. We do reach out. And we dearly and deeply miss Mike and Tina who are recovering from COVID and, and Gary Gross who is recovering from bronchitis. And we pray for other members of our congregation as we prepare to go by way of television. Thank you for Pastor um, Bruce Carpenter being with us as he's going to be sharing on 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 his heart, what's the division and the, the mission of the, the church that he serves. We thank you for Pastor George Groves with us today. We pray for Char and we pray, Father, that our beautiful facility may be, be um, shared by a number of people. It's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to have such a beautiful sanctuary and in privilege to be able to share it with Jay Hop, and we, we thank you, Father, for the possibilities of, of our daycare being utilized with 
Pastor um, Bruce Carpenter and the Church of God, and as we look forward to our sanctuary um, being utilized immediately following our worship service as soon as possible, as early as possible, as soon as possible, we, we do thank you, God, that you, you meet and minister to the multitude of needs that we have, financial needs. We thank you for our, our praying congregation, and we thank you for the, the blessings of those who pray and those who support our church by their prayers and their presence and their financial gifts. And we, we are dearly and deeply in need. We, we know that there's a, a multitude of individuals out there that have a need of worship that are, are shut-ins and those in prison ministry and those who are hospitalized and shut-ins. And we, we pray, Father, that as over the airways, as we as our music ministry, and we thank you for Clarice and Mike, and we thank you, Father, for those who support our church in their, their giving of their time and their talents and their treasures. We pray, Father, that as we go by way of television here shortly, hopefully shortly, that you'll minister by the hymns that are sung and the scripture that is read and the messages that are given, Father, and we just pray that you would anoint our words and may the hearts and the minds of people be receptive to, to your word. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to turn to our opening hymn, and we may go by way of television shortly. Come, O come, Emmanuel, read number 100. Read number 100. Turning to our opening hymn, O come, O come, Emmanuel, read hymnals number 100. Verses 1, 3, and 5.
thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to call on my wife. Um, this is my first wife and my only wife. Um, scripture reading, Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And then um, Pastor Bruce and I are going to be sharing some thoughts, medications, the lighting of the unity candles, are they kind of um, puttering out there? And Chris, would you share Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6? Okay. Okay. Uh, there have been a lot of people that have been calling and wondering what, what direction we're going to be going in. I'm going to be sharing the, what direction the Methodist Church is going in. But hopefully... And we're going to be opening it up to questions and that to Pastor um, Carpenter. But I've asked my wife for 46 years. That's all continuous years. To share from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, introducing Christine and used to be Hassel, but I delivered her from that last name Hassel to Tabor. Thank you. <laughs> all right, reading from Luke. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Euteria and Trachonitius, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, in the high priesthood of, of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region about the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be broken low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh so shall see the salvation of God. Here ends the hearing of his word. Amen. Thank you, Chris. I don't believe that Carpenter needs an introduction. We were together a number of years ago for, what was it, like six or seven years or so? Just, I mean, that time just flew by. He moved to another location uh, because he kind of expanded and and he's looking about purchasing purchasing church. And at that point, we did not own the church, and we don't, do not currently own the church. But, but in the next few months or so, we're going to be possibly taking a vote whether we want to go towards the United, maintaining the liberalism, the United Methodist Church, or becoming what is the global Methodist, the global Methodist, which is more like the EUB, the former EUB, or the Wesleyan, the Wesleyan. He has a, a wonderful in-law that was a bishop, a, a bishop of the Methodist Church, and he's going to be touching on that. So I'd like to have um, Pastor Bruce Carpenter in the Church of God, it's, and he, he has a real mission field, and we've lit the joy candle and the hope candle, and now we move on to the third candle of the Advent, which is kind of a missionary. So give um, Pastor Bruce Carpenter a round of applause as he comes. I certainly am so glad to be back with you all 
and to sharing at a place that I have been to this pastor here that I met this morning uh, from the enemy state of Wisconsin that embraces the Packers and so but I'm going to look beyond that because of me being a true Viking fan uh, I've got people that come and eat at my table every time that uh, the Vikings and the Packers play just to antagonize me but uh, that's because we're just fans of our team so I am so glad to be here today during this uh, season it is a wonderful season, although it has its challenges. We had our challenges this morning, just going through our technical difficulties, trying to get everything prepared. My dogs were barking unusually because they've seen something they have not seen before, and that's snow. And so as we were preparing, I wondered, thought about what I would say to you all today and as I was praying the Lord blessed me with a scripture and I want to give you something I want to give you something that I pray will challenge you because ministry is challenging because it brings us outside of the box if you do the same thing I've preached this as long as I've been coming here if you do the same thing you will always get the same results and I know that when we are challenged by our faith and creativity, in order to have faith, you've got to be creative. I know we don't like that because it gives us the unknown. But no one knows the direction that God takes us, and you have to be creative and receptive because God does whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do it. And in order to get a part and to attain a part of the plan of God, you have to accept the journey. And the journey leads us in different directions. It leads us in different places. And that's what I love about the Bible because the Bible opens us up to a now faith. The scriptures teaches us that we're forgetting those things which are behind us. And we have to press on to the mark of the high calling which is in Christ Jesus. And so if you stay stuck in yesterday, you can never embrace what God has for you. And I hope that there are many of us here today that have not lost our expectation, our tribe. If you're alive, uh, then God has kept you alive for a purpose. So that I don't keep babbling on and bore you, I want to read this scripture, and I think uh, Sister Tabor for the scripture that she read. I'm going to stay in Luke chapter 17 and verse 11 and a few of the scriptures. It says, and it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. The 12th verse says, and as he entered into a certain village, there met him 10 men that were lepers, which stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Fourteenth verse says, and when he saw them, when he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves to the priests. And it came to pass that as 
they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. With a low voice, he glorified God, fell down on his face at the Lord's feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten of you that were cleansed? Where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto them, he said unto him, Arise, and go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. I said that because I want to talk about this one person. Oftentimes we think that we need a lot of people, or that we need the masses or that we need thousands to do the will of God. I remember when we started the church, we started with seven people. But here, after 23 years, that was seven buildings ago. I sat there and I thought about, as I came here, there were stops that I had to make before I got here to this church. And you notice the challenge that we have in church is because when you go to the hospital, it's full. I went to the grocery store, it's full. I get often calls from prison and, and jailhouses. Talk to police chiefs and they tell me how full the jailhouse is, how full the hospitals are. What is the struggle then when you have the church and why is the church so important, then why is the church attacked? What is the disease that we see now facing Christianity? Because now we have, whether you're Republican or Democrat, we have one side saying this one's evil, the other side saying this one is ungodly, and we have this battle going on within our nation that spills off into our churches, our families, our communities. We have hatred for people that we don't even know. We don't even know their name, and so we have this great divide that goes on within our community. Advent season suggests that there's something coming. I tell the people that I have the opportunity to serve as their pastor, is that God does not look for the nine, he's looking for one with a good heart. He's looking for one because the reason why we're here is because of one. Who was the one? That one is, is Jesus. Jesus is the one that we look to. In this particular passage of scripture, what I love about it is because God looks for something in order to move and so this church must be, must remember what God looks for. Because if you don't need God, there's no reason for him to show up. If you don't want God to do something in you or for you, then we really don't need God. If we are independent and we can do it by ourselves, we really don't need God. I hope I'm not boring you. The reason why we need God is because we can't do it ourselves. 
What were the lepers? What were their needs? And what did God see in them? First thing I believe that he saw is desperation. They came to a place, even though they stayed a safe distance away, they were desperate. They moved from out of the colony and they went into a safe distance and they began to make their voices known because they needed him. On this last week, the 920 people that were fed from our food shelter and from our mobile food challenge, I listened at people that didn't care about what the menu was. They were so desperate to have fellowship and to have a meal because 95% of them were homeless. And the city has bulldozed their encampments and so now they have nowhere to go. And to me, I look at them because they are so humble and they are so desperate. And to me, the church has moved outside of these walls. When you see 920 people that have no place to eat, they have no food to eat, they have no place to sleep, desperation means that we have to do desperate things. Secondly, I see in this is that the people not only were desperate, but they were humble. So I'm sitting there, I'm, I have on jogging suit, right? And this little girl does not care whether I'm a pastor of a large church, small church, or any church. She comes to me and she's just got through eating. And she says, hey, sir. And she puts her ketchup mustard hands on my jogging pants. Now, I, 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 I try to be a person that tries to look halfway decent, but it blew me away with this, with this little girl. And before her mother could get her, I said, oh, she's all right. We're going to get messy together. But what I saw into her, what I saw through her, was this humbleness, this humility. I saw a display that I don't know who you are. Now, this is a person that did not know what I represented, what church I pastored, whether I was a Democrat, whether I was a Republican. Black, white, she didn't see color. She just saw someone that she wanted to embrace. And humble as she came, and she put her mustard ketchup hands on me. And she talked to me with hot dog breath. And we sat and had conversation. And then she took her drink and said, sir, do you want some? I said, no, nah, I'm good. And the Lord said to me, do you see what this is? Do you see how she came to you? This is how the church should be. If the church could become a little less religious and more in tune with God, the Bible says, through love and kindness have I drawn thee. Next point. Not only do we have to be desperate, not only can we take a little dose of some humility, but then these leopards, what they needed more, and this is the reason what brings me to church every day, is they needed the mercy of God. I don't care how good you are. 
I don't care what you've done. You still need the mercies of God. I don't care how many times you've come to church, cleaned up to church. Our righteousness is still nothing more than filthy rags. There are people that you know of, and maybe even us, that went to bed without forgiving someone that we needed to forgive a long time ago. Or maybe we've gotten to this self-righteous attitude where we feel like we've got it all together. But what I love about the mercies of God, because it covers. Oh, if I didn't have this jacket on, you would see how chubby my wife has made me. But love is like this jacket. It covers up stuff. When I come to God and I come under the blood of Jesus Christ, this jacket, this love of God covers. Because they said love covers a multitude, I know there may not be no faults in here. But the preacher that's speaking to you today has a whole bunch of them. Just ask my wife, she'll tell you. She's got a pad. <laughs> she's got a pad. She can tell you he's, he, you know, he's got this, he's got that, he's got that, but I love him. She covers me. But she doesn't cover me like God. Because she reminds me, you better straighten up, boy. You better cut it out, Bruce Carpenter. Matter of fact, she gives my whole name, Bruce Wayne Carpenter. That lets me know I need to listen. But that isn't how God does. God just covers me. What is the church, what would the church be like if we just expressed that same kind of love to this community? They don't have to be church of God in Christ that I am in. They don't have to be Methodist. They can just come wanting to find out who God is. We don't have to be pretentious before God. We can just come to him as we are. I came to Jesus as I was. I was weary, wounded, and sad, but I found in him a resting place. He's made me glad. So, Lord, what are you looking for? You've got ten leopards, and nine of them have gotten themselves together, and they don't feel like they need you. But no, God says there's still one. And that one, when they figure it out and see that no one could do what I've done for them, they will return. And they'll come in worship. They will come with praise. And they'll come with thanksgiving. I'm suggesting to you that even though we're looking for thousands and thousands, I think we should just look for the one. There's enough ones out there that will pack every church in this community and in the state of Minnesota. The nine will always be the nine, but that one will add benefit to the church. Maybe, look at you, the snow couldn't keep you. You're the one. Said, I just gotta come to church. I've gotta give God thanks. I didn't come to look at a little fat chocolate preacher. I came to be in the presence of God. To those of you that are listening to me, I don't care what your condition is. Whatever the condition is, and whatever the state of the church is, if it's a condition, God can fix it. Matter of fact, we don't serve a God that's just any kind of God. He's a miraculous God. He's so miraculous that there's testimonies that you have that God has done some things for you that nobody else could do. Some of us had COVID, but many died from COVID, but not you. You're still here. Suggesting that we still have work to do. I want you to pray for me. Join with me. 
wherever God takes us. My mother said, take your gloves off your hands, set them on the plow because, son, God has work for you to do. Well, I want to give that to you. Let's put our hands to the plow. This church is just not a beautiful sanctuary. It has history. But if we drive the same way, we're going to get there at the same time, and we're going to see all the same things, but God wants to do something different for those who are desperate, those who are humble, and those who will receive the mercies of God. If he can do it down the street, he can do it here. If he can heal you, he can heal others. Let me give you this story and I'm sitting down. I had a young lady, pastor, and she came to me, called me and said, are you Pastor Carp? And I said, yes, I am. She says, I need to see you right now. I said, well, I'm busy. She said, well, I'm getting ready to kill myself. I don't want to live no more. I said, oh, where are you at? She showed me where she was at, downtown Minneapolis. I got in the church van. I was on my way to a meeting. I jumped in the church van so she didn't know who I was. And I drove all the way down to her, Kathy. When I got there, she was on the bus. She pointed to me and told me that she was the lady that was calling me. So I went over and sat on the bus stop with her and she was accompanied by three little children. She's here and I'm sitting here and I said, how can I help you? She said, I wanted to talk to a minister because I don't want to live anymore. And I said, well, you don't want to live anymore? She says, no, I don't want to live anymore. I said, well, if you don't want to live anymore, you don't need me. What do you need me here for, to witness a death? The reason why you call me is because you want to live, not die. The only reason why you come and you call for me is because somehow or another you want to connect to life. Life has given you bad news, put you in a bad situation. But the God that we serve, the reason why you called me, because you believe whoever I'm connected to can change things around. Just like that woman that was suicidal, sometimes the church has become suicidal. And we've prepared for a funeral rather than the power of praise and worship. We accept what we see and not what we believe. Faith is creative, but faith is trusting in God. But you can't trust in God and sit where you are. You've got to trust in God and move. You've got to move with God. Our voices can't be silent like the girl that was sitting on the bus stop. As she sat there, she began to talk to me and I found out how articulate she was. Found out that she had a college degree even though she was homeless with three children. Well, that young lady, just because she was preached to and ministered to and somebody went out of their way to go and have a conversation with her. She now runs our welfare department, downtown Minneapolis. She's one of the ones that even though she's well off now, she's doing extremely well. She comes back to the church to tell the Lord, I'm one of the ones I won't forget. I thank you for what you've done. 
this church could be full of those ones. Can't do it by myself. Pastor can't do it by himself. Pastor can't do it. Where there's a will, there's a way. And we're praying and we're asking God. But like Peter, he's got to answer the knock at the door. The blessing and the revelation with Peter's knock as he's sitting up there in this spiritual trance is that he's got to be keen enough to hear the knock at the door. If he does not answer the knock at the door, he will never receive the revelation. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it in the heart of man what God has in store for them that love him. God bless you and thank you for this opportunity. Glory, glory. I hope we got that by way of television, man, because hungering deeper and fuller fellowship with the Church of God certainly not only need the financial support, but we, we need that, that fellowship of, of like-minded believers in Christ. Before I go to my message, we want <clears throat> to turn to our next carol in the Red Hymnals, number 101. 101, let all mortal flesh keep silence, and then I'll go to my message. So if you turn in our praise team, if they could come back. Carol, let all mortal flesh keep silence. Red Hymnals, number 101, please.
As we continue in worship today, trust you're listening very closely to the signs and the times of what is going on in the world, and uh, particularly maybe in the United Methodist Church. I, I spent an entire day um, by Zoom workshop with a, a number of other ministers and district superintendents and bishops, and dealing with the cutting edge technology of, of where the church is going in, in theology too, in theology. And much of the terminology that I'll be using is, is terminology that have kind of you know, been familiar with, but sometimes terminology in meaning means diff uh, a different thing. And the subject was the need for innovation and the need for innovation with, within the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, many of us um, look at businesses and we look at organizations. Increasingly, we see that the need for innovation and to, to increase the value for their clients and gain the competitive edge in whatever industry it may be. And within the Church, we, we look at growth and we look at the spontaneity and the care that needs to be provided for our clients and those prospective buyers that buy into the gospel of Jesus Christ. And due to the technology and the ability to access information in unprecedented ways, a, a shift from the age of information, the suggestion in business and the suggestion in church today is there's a shift from the age of information to the age of creativity. Now for many of us that have grown up in ministry and have been preaching for almost nearly 50 years, we've always looked for information, especially from the Word of God, to develop our growth and to sustain our life and the life in our churches. But there's a suggestion now that we need to move from an age of information to an age of creativity. Creativity has begun moving the world from a focus on acquiring information to a focus on making sense of the infinite information that we need to probably curb, curb our understanding of information because many people that are unchurched, that are unbelieving, may have all the information, but, but they need not only to look at the message, but they need to look at the messengers and making sense of information in a very novel, in a novel and useful way. You and I were living in an increasingly complex world and the ability to bend, we need to be able to bend or break and and blend concepts and ideas to solve problems and expand opportunities are needed for both the product, the system, and team development. Now, I can't say that I agreed with everything that was suggested at this workshop, this, this seminar by Zoom. Uh, interpretation was, was one of my major stumbling blocks to try to understand and and cope with if I continue to be a United Methodist and how they will bend me or how they will mold me into their idea of development. The North American church 
is no different. Uh, the need to tap into imagination, and the big word today now is imagination that's inspired by the Holy Spirit is needed. We, we are called to create. We, we are created to create. And the church being faithful to the calling is a part of how we Christians can see beauty and we can see truth and we can, we can see goodness and how we can flourish in a world that so desperately needs it. In a survey recently conducted by IBM with over 15,000, 15,000 chief executives, CEOs from 60-some countries, some 33 industries, creativity was found to be one of the most important skills that was needed to succeed in today's world and today's economy. Furthermore, according to the World Economic Forum, the 10 skills, the 10 skills for 2025, and you may think that's a long ways off, but I think of it in terms of I'll be celebrating my 50th wedding anniversary then, the 10 skills of, of those who will be on the cutting edge of technology and success, whether in the church or in industry, 10 skills of 2025, innovation. Innovation is ranked number one. Innovation to complex problem solving, ranked third. Creativity ranked fifth respectively, and, and problem-solving related skills represent one of the 10 skills that were needed. Big words that are being used today are, are divergent, divergent thinking. That if you have the capability to have divergent thinking, you have a muscle. We like to think of ourselves as having muscles. And thinking is a muscle that we all need to use, utilize, and divergent thinking is this muscle. It, that, that's, that constitutes our ability to problem, problem solve, to think from new perspectives, and, and to see opportunities, opportunities previously unseen. This is connected with our ability to um, think divergently. Say it with me divergently. And part of, the, of our time in preparation for the future will focus on exercising this muscle to practice thinking from new perspectives. While creativity and divergent thinking are, are not synonymous, as our ability to think divergently increases, so does our, our creative potential. Now, some of these, these definitions, I think we need to understand that, that convergent, convergent thinking is critical thinking in which an individual uses linear, linear we, we all, all call to think in kind of linear, linear line type learning. It's logical, logical steps to analyze numbers of already formulated solutions to a problem to determine the outcome or the one that is most likely to be successful. 
That's convergent thinking. Divergent thinking is creative thinking in which an individual solves a problem or reaches a conclusion using strategies that, that deviate from the commonly used or previously taught form of learning. This, this term is often used synonymous with, with lateral, lateral thinking. You probably have grown up thinking that creativity, like myself, that we understood it, but it seems that the combination of seemingly desperate concepts or ideas, products, are to create something that is both, both novel and useful. And then that big word, innovation, the, the intentional, the intentional introduction and application within a job or a work team, an organization of ideas of the church, processes or products or procedures that are new as a work team or organization that are designed to benefit that job, that work, that organization. I want to um, provide you with, before we close today, the sense that there are creativity myths. There are creativity myths and misconceptions. A misconception or a myth is that not everyone is creative. Everyone is in fact creative. You heard Pastor Bruce Carpenter talk about the one, the one. You are the one, I am the one, that, that everyone is in fact creative, but not everyone is creative in the same way. Creativity researchers have shifted from asking the question of who is creative and who is not to how are you? How are you creative? The myth that creativity applies only primarily to the arts is, is no longer held. The two words most commonly used to define Creativity are useful, novel, and useful ideas and concepts don't only apply, but can be seen in every domain and every area of life. It's a myth, and it's a misconception that creativity cannot be taught. Although divergent thinking and creativity are not synonymous, divergent thinking exercises help train your brain to view certain products and opportunities from new perspectives. One of our, our leaders said, how would you describe, and he held up a pen, how would you describe what is held in your hand without the descriptives? of what a pen is, to kind of think outside of the box, to totally think outside the box. Now, it's a myth that creative thought is random, or it's a random occurrence. Creativity researchers have discovered uh, a framework from which ideas often occur. By learning this framework, 
individuals and their ability to learn how to increase their creative output. Describing a pen, not as a pen, but using descriptives totally opposite. Not thinking anymore in, in Facebook terminology, but outside. There's a diagnostic tool that psychologists use and, and people in business use. It's the Riesman Diagnostic Creativity Assessment Form. This RDCA measures creativity by breaking it into 11 elements which influence, influence creative potential and output. It's the ability to scientifically quantify and, and measure this phenomena which has led to the creation of creative processes which allow for consistent, innovative outcomes in teams and organizations. Some of the characteristics are fluency, flexibility, originality, elaboration, tolerance of ambiguity. And I trust this morning you're using that gift of tolerance of ambiguity because even in a day-long seminar of where the direction of the United Methodist Church is going is you need tolerance amidst ambiguity. And they go on to say risk-taking and intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation and, and convergent thinking and divergent thinking and, and resistance to premature closure. That without creativity, there would be no progress and, and we would be forever repeating the same pattern. This entire creative process, in the book, in the book, The Art of Thought, The Art of Thought, written from the 1926, 1926 author, Graham Wallace, he pro proposed one of the first complete models of the creative process. Keep in mind, this was 1926. Dr. Wallace described how it consists of the, the four-stage process of, of preparation or, or saturation. And, and all of us go through these processes, these descriptives. It's, um, he talks about the incubation period, the illumination period, the verification for implementation. In this 1920 theory, continues to be highly cited among professional design teams and, and scholarly works on creativity. The number one area is preparation. As, as we're gathering information and as we're gathering materials, as we're identifying sources of inspiration and acquiring knowledge about the project or the problem at hand, then we move on to the second stage of incubation. And I think back on the farm, and I think of those little eggs that were being hatched and warmed for incubation. Incubation, as ideas slowly simmer and, and the work deepens and new connections are formed, and stepping away from the problems can assist in the part of the process and, 
in the can't do, we can't exceed, or, or we've always did it that way. And moving on into the third stage is illumination. After a period of incubation, insights arise from a deeper layer, layer of the mind and break through the conscious awareness, often in dramatic ways into the sudden eureka. Eureka. And then the fifth and final stage is verification. These I know are probably not new terms to you, but the definitions are new. Verification is whatever ideas and insights arise in stage three or the previous stages are, are fleshed out and developed. The person uses critical thinking and aesthetic judgment skills to hone in and to refine the work and then communicate its value to others. I kind of look at this as all kinds of an incarnational theology. I try to give them the benefit of the doubt because they are supposedly trained theologians and gone to four years of college and four years of seminary and are trying to innovate and converge the future with the present. All of these incarnational innovations process, for incarnation, how does it feel to experience the unspoken realities of someone else's life, to, to walk in their shoes, to feel with their heart, to, to see with their eyes, to understand what the birth of Christ would have been like in the, the call of the shepherds and the angels, to be able to emphasize and to reflect and to define, according to Philippians chapter 2, 7, that he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And what would it be like? What would it be like to look into and to imagine and to dream of what could be unencumbered by fear and the possibilities? Isaiah chapter 41, 13 says, For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. In the implementation of these areas to test, to pilot, how might you or I incorporate feedback and experiment and order to strengthen our ideas. Proverbs chapter 27, 17 says, as iron, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Father, we may not know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And in the process of futurology and looking into the future, and looking at the United Methodist Church, and if we want to continue along the lines of innovation in the Methodist Church, or move towards the Global Methodist Church, which is more of an Evangelical United Brethren Church or a Wesleyan 
denomination in the next few months, we realize that there is a division coming. And it may not be a division of white or black, it may not be a division of Democrat or Republican, but it's going to be a division. It's an innovation of, of the myth of the church of the future. And Father, we just pray with those by way of television or radio or Facebook or other means, can we repeat this prayer together? Dear Jesus, we don't know what the future holds, but you do hold a future. We thank you for your forgiveness. Lead us, O Lord, and guide us, O Lord, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you join me in our offertory prayer that's printed in our bulletin? God of mercy and grace, we pray that the gifts we offer this morning might be used to bring some compassion to the chaos that is in our world. We give the gifts in love, hoping they will heal some of the hurting. And as they do, make the crooked road straight for the coming of the Christ. May the hills that separate us from sisters and brothers be made flat, and may the valleys of our isolation be raised up, so we will be ready to welcome the Christ as one. In that holy name we pray, amen. Turn with me now to the offertory hymn, Heralds of Christ, purple number 567, please, 567.
please stand with me. Father, we find in your word according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Our Heavenly Father, we are thy children redeemed by Christ, our Savior and elder brother. And we come to thee in thy name. Forgive our sins, deliver us from all the guilt and power of sin and from its consequences. Take the love of it out of our hearts, make our love of thee so to glow, let it burn out all the dross of evil and impel us constantly to the gracious acts of a kindly ministry done to others in thy master's name. Give us a clear vision of our ever-present Savior as an abiding friend. Grant that we may be transformed by these gifts and these givers, beholding him growing daily more and more like Jesus in the desires of our heart, the words of our lips and the things we do and refrain from doing. Bless with us all others supplying and applying their every need and giving them grace and guidance. Make the gospel light shine out brightly in all lands, bringing peace and spiritual prosperity and drawing all to Christ. And together in the bonds of Christian unity, we ask all this as we pray for grateful hearts in the name of the one who died on Calvary. Amen. Do pray for the Eight Ways Gateways group. I've considered them... Pastor George Groves, our, our pastor emeritus, and he's um, kind of sponsoring. I'm just kind of the gopher person. I go for get the foods and get it together here, and we've probably had it here a couple times in the last, last 68 months, and it's kind of nice to get evangelicals together, United Methodists, and look at what's going on in the church. Mm-hmm. 